Hey there, Share Bears. Remember that sharing is caring. So please share this podcast with your friends. And also, we'd like to remind you to share your dollar if you're able. And donate to some of the many organizations that are helping to amplify and defend Black voices and communities. Nat, could you share a few of those organizations with us? Well, a few of the big ones are BACLU, Black Lives Matter. And then there's your local bail and freedom funds. The Bail Project, which is a national revolving bail fund. And am I forgetting any, Cass? Only a lot, I'm sure. If you go to our bio on Instagram, there's a link to a wonderful list of resources that you can donate to and learn more about. So check it out and keep fighting and keep unlearning racism and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome. To Arcade Audio. Shared history. History. It's everywhere you want to be. Oh, that is... That one's poignant. I feel like that one... Like, I feel like I sounded like... I don't know. That just felt like very good radio voice. I don't even... I can't... Is that a capital one? What is that? Uh, Visa. I I feel like I was channeling um, Allstate Man. Uh, I felt it. (laughs) Your... Wait, what is nation? Or you're in good hands. You're in good hands. Oh my god, I love that man so much. Anyway, uh, you don't know who we're talking. Who's talking right now? It's me, your host, Cass Maher, and me, that other host, Natalie Younger, and and over there on the ones and twos, love of our life, it's DJ Rip. That's right. I got nothing else. <laughs> I really thought that you weren't going to say anything, and that, we were, and that it was just going to be like some some nice room tone from your from your home. No. I was really I was really hoping we'd just have this recurring bit of like maybe we're in a fight with Rip, and he's just like, "I'm not speaking to you right now." That's kind of this whole season. <laughs> <laughs> the saddest part of, well, not the saddest part. There's so much weird things going on in the world right now. One thing that is truly sad to me is that since we're recording remotely, all three of us in our separate abodes, some of us in different states, um, Rip because is kind we of... follow the rules. Yeah, we follow the rules. Social distance and, and be safe and healthy, y'all. Um, Rip has kind of taken a back seat this season because... It's hard to do while we're looking at each other on a Google Hangout and whatnot. And I just really miss Rip well, a lot. That's I I thank you very much. That's I miss uh, you know, dropping some beats and bops and whatnot, but it has given me more time uh to really find uh my areas of the internet, which is uh, the shop goodwill auctions and Instagram wrestling figure vendors, aka the flea markets of the internet, and I've I've really maybe never felt more at home. You've probably never felt more alive, Rip. I oh <laughs> man, y'all have no idea. Uh, there's a Twitter account called at uh, Fat Kid Deals, which just constantly, constantly, constantly posts like just really good deals that just randomly pop up on Amazon. And for uh, my one-year anniversary with uh, my girlfriend Charlie's coming up, and and uh, I wanted to get her a Nintendo Switch, but me being me, I'm not going to pay more than retail value for it. And so they posted uh, the Switch for retail value, and I spent 20 minutes refreshing that page. And when I got that sucker in the cart and paid for, it was maybe the biggest rush of adrenaline i've had in 2020 it was <laughs> i'm sorry to like to just take up so much space at the top of this episode with no, me Rip, talking we've about missed you so much online we've shopping missed we've missed you so much Rip. i can't tell you how much i was like fist pumping just so hard i almost threw my arm out of my socket 
It was exhilarating. Natalie, I'm gonna I'm gonna posit something to you right now. What if neither of us tell a story and we just let Rip just tell us about his his day and his month? Yeah, just let it all out. <laughs> Look, when it comes to like gr- like great deal thrills, I've got you. <laughs> there is nothing more exhilarating to me than finding a killer deal, just a bargain. You would get along very well with my brother. We we joke around. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I love, we, I love this so much. We joke around that, but like, if you point at anything in my in my brother's home and say that you like it, or say like, "Is that new?" or even acknowledge that it exists, you will be met with a story of the hot hot deal he got. On. Oh yeah. That's like the in detail. That's like the Midwestern like st- like stereotype of if you're like, "Hey, I like your sweater," you immediately respond with where you got it and how much. Yep. Oh, thanks! Yeah, I got it at Target it for twelve dollars. Yeah, how much yep. it was off? There's this place in Florida called Bells, but it's spelled B E A L L S, and they have it's this is it's also like they have this at like uh, uh, DSW and whatnot, but they have the dot system, the color system, to where you find a dot and save a lot. Oh. Boy, <laughs> like, look, there's not a lot I miss from Florida, but Bells, baby, I miss you. <laughs> um, Rip was when we were setting everything up about ready to start recording today. Rip just said, I think one of the sweetest things anyone has, has ever said to me or Natalie ever. Um, DJ Rip edits all of our podcast episodes and we're doing this all remote. And he was like, Natalie Cass, I've gotten to a point where I can identify each individual um and uh and know who sang it like if you talk over each other by by like just the wave form <laughs> and uh that's true love that's true love from our uh, from our pod daddy because we do sound very similar and and when we talk over each other sometimes i don't know who's speaking it's because we both have just deep velvety Dulcet Alto. tones. Sorry, baritone voice. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm a tenor at the highest. Um, but we're we're pretty deep into this intro. Maybe <laughs> let's let's get started on some history. Sure, 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 sure. I want to take you on a little journey of how I got my topic. All right, I'll keep my hands and feet inside the vehicle. Um, I've been sitting on this one for a while, uh, and I'm really excited about it. So I, I was like, I don't know, I'm, I'm just going to start Googling random history things that I like. I kind of wanted to go to antiquity or something. I was like, I got, I got nothing. Um, and so I was like, well, what if I do like, you know, Marco Polo is really interesting. What if I do the Silk Road? And then I was like, Natalie would be so pissed because that's oh, her would. topic. She but would- I still haven't done it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but something in me like was like, this feels wrong. It feels like cheating and it feels gross. So I was just like, I was just like ser- searching Silk Road stuff to see, you know, something tickled my fancy. And then I was seeing that um, the goods that they traded back and forth, China exported paper. And this was in 13, like the 1400s, maybe. And I was I'm like, sorry, do you not do you not remember this from where in time is Carmen San Diego? Oh no 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 yeah. But it was weird <laughs> to me that China was exporting paper because it means that they were the either invented it or were the ones mass producing it, and that like they needed to go all the way to China to get paper. So I was like, huh, let's dig in to paper. That sounds really boring, but I got very excited. So I was like, how is paper made? Where did it come from in China? And then all of a sudden, I was like learning about like parchment. I was like, how do they make parchment? Parchment is animal skins. I got, y'all, I got so deep into paper. (laughs) And then I saw something that was um, like one ancient city, like uh, halted papyrus productions to like you know stop this city's uh export whatever so this city became like the best parchment producer and i was like what we got a little bit of trade wars going and so i want to tell you about a war but it's not a war on the battlefield 
And it's not a trade war. These are the dun, da, 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 library wars. <gasps> yeah. Buckle up, Natalie. That was a really I, long intro just saying I started no, on the Silk it, Road. It took me to so many places of, oh my God, did she do the same topic as me? <laughs> or oh my god, that's a topic that I have on my list to do later that I almost did for today. So I just I almost did something paper adjacent today. <laughs> it was so like I love like the the history of like really basic things is usually pretty tumultuous. And um I was just like I can't tell you how long I was just researching paper before I even got to this topic and how genuinely excited I was about it. Um, So the library wars. Uh, This this is the story of the city of Pergamon, sometimes called Pergamum, um, which was this city that kind of blew up in in the Hellenistic period. Um, so the Hellenistic period, for y'all who don't know, is 323 BCE to 31 BCE. So this is um, right when Alexander the Great died, marks the beginning of the Hellenistic period. Before it, and then some context for y'all, the classical period is right before this, and that's kind of the like Greece versus Persia. You know, you're like 300. Babylon, all that bullshit. The Hellenistic period is more of like Greece, Rome, Egypt focused, kind of like the Roman Empire's expanding, Cleopatra, all that stuff. That's a Hellenistic Battle, period. Battle of Troy is Hellenistic, right? I sure. I believe so, yes. Oh yeah, sure actually, actually, uh yes, because that actually kind of comes into play. That's like Ho- Homer, Homeric era. Yeah. Anyway. That's setting the scene. Um, So when Alexander the Great died, Alexander the Great, y'all, is one of the greatest military generals of all time. His empire, he's Macedonian, but he was like also like Greek. Everyone's like, he wasn't Greek, he's Macedonian. I don't know. It makes a difference, I guess. Um, He conquered like almost as much as like the largest expanse of the Roman Empire took up almost a third of the world. He, like, himself conquered, like, about that much. Just a huge amount of Asia, Italy, into Africa. Um, he, I don't think he made it all the way out to Britain and whatnot, but he just had this huge, expansive empire that he conquered. And he, he died when he was, like, 30-something, like, pretty young. He amassed all of this, um, this land. Well... Your boy never claimed an heir. So when Alexander died, um, his there was kind of this fight for succession. Um, and this this it's called the Diadochi, um, which were all of the generals of his army. Many of them were related to him. So they're like, oh, I've got a claim to this. Uh, bro's my like second cousin, but also I was a general of his army. So all of these generals. Let's, yeah, let's I feel like that's really uh it's really sweeping under the rug the fact that they were probably generals of his army because, like, these two things are caught. Exactly. A little cor- bit of correlated. nepotism. Yeah. A little bit. But, and it was also weird. A little so- bit of neoclassical nepotism. <laughs> this isn't the neoclassical area. A little, little neo-nepotism. I just really to say it. Yeah. Um, no, and it was, it was just, it was just kind of a clusterfuck because he didn't name an heir of blood relation. And he didn't name a militaristic heir because there was no set ranking system. It was kind of like, you know, like capitalism in the military. It's like, oh, you do good. You got a higher rank. You won a lot of battles. You're going to go up a rank. Someone else Mm -hmm. won a lot of battles. Well, now you're going to go down and someone else is going to come up. So there was no, it kind of was constantly in flux. So when Alexander the Great died, um... All of these generals were fighting for succession. They ended up breaking up the empire into like 30 different little areas. And each general got one bit. And then they were fighting over how big it was and everything. 
It's just mayhem. So, uh, we're, we go to Alexandria. Um, and Alexandria was, uh, is, Ptolemy, um, was one of, Ptolemy the first was one of Alexander's bros. And he took Alexander's body back to Alexandria, which was named after Alexander. Um, and he declared himself Pharaoh Ptolemy the first. So he got this little area in Egypt and he's like, yo, I'm a Pharaoh now. And I've got Alexander's body and all of these people who took, um, little empires or kingdoms, uh, they're, they tried to be like, I'm the closest to Alexander. Look at all of this. Either I have Alexander's body or I have all this Greek history or whatever. It was just trying to prove who had the closest connection to Alexander the Great. Um, Thus enters the Library of Alexandria. Um, So previously to the Library of Alexandria, which was built in around 200 BCE, um, libraries before the Library of Alexandria, they were like private collections in either temples or you know, rich people's personal libraries. It was just kind of like, look at this. It's mine. I got it. It's a status symbol. And no one really cares about this. Mm-hmm. Alexandria marked the beginning of the quote unquote collection of all knowledge. It was essentially kind of the first public library. And um, at this time, it was museum, which comes from the I mean, I don't know if it's Egyptian or Greek, whatever, uh, like mausoleum and whatnot. The museum mm. and the library were linked together. It was a research institution. Um, museums were run by academic and religious figures. They were shrines to the muses, museums, um, which were the goddesses of arts and intellect. And then attached to that was like the library which is all kind of the reference material and all that stuff it was these little you know universities almost and it was just if you're feeling if you're feeling uncultured listeners um and if your brain was just blown like mine was about the entomology entomology etymology damn it i did it you did it again etymology think of ant bugs ant sounds like ant but i just think that everything's about bugs uh if you're if you're dazzled by the muse uh museum correlation and if you're like i don't know nothing about no muses have you seen hercules you know about muses shut up i was just about to go into that also i oh, think good. i think i may have misspoke on the mausoleum museum whatever but museum muses so there were nine muses in greek mythology um, I'm going to name all nine of them, and then I went to the IMDb page for Hercules because they used five of them, and I wanted to see mm-hmm. which five they picked. So, quick little game. I'm going to name all of them and what they're the muse of, and let me know if you can guess which five they chose. Okay. So, there's Calliope, the muse of epic poetry, Cleo, the muse of history, Erato, the music of lyric poetry, Oiterpa, the muse of music, Melpomene, muse of tragedy, Polyhymnia, the muse of sacred poetry, Terpsichore, the music of dance and chorus, Talia, the music of comedy and idyllic poetry, and Urania, the music of a, the muse of astronomy. Sorry, I just threw a lot at you. Okay. I would get, there's five in Hercules. My guess would be that they took uh, music, uh, epic poetry, dance, whoops, just throwing things over here, dance and chorus, history, and maybe astronomy was one of them? Yeah. I don't think it's astronomy, though. I think it might be comedy. You were really close. I think you got four. So they chose epic poetry, history, tragedy, dance and chorus, and comedy and idyllic poetry. 
I don't know. I thought wow. that was. I forgot fun. that you had said tragedy. I forgot that you had said tragedy. I was yeah. trying to keep track of them as you were saying them. As but they ones. didn't choose music, which I thought yeah, was that interesting. Is, that is surprising. Yeah, I don't I know. It's like they're like grouped it under dance and chorus. Yeah, I don't know. but chorus didn't mean that. Whatever. Well, they were a little Greek chorus. Get it? Mm-hmm. Sorry, that was just for me. It tickled me. Anyway, uh, I feel like it was for me as well. <laughs> you know. You know I love. Hercules. I was like, I was like a game, Hercules and history. Natalie's gonna want to play this game. What if we just, what if we just turned the rest of this episode into us discussing our thoughts and feelings about the fact that they're going to make a live action Hercules? Gonna shout it from the mountain top. A star is. We don't have the rights. And I was like, because I was gonna bring that up. I'm not happy about it. Um, everyone's like, choose your favorite muses to play whatever. No, I don't want to do it. The original five are great. We don't need to, we don't need to mess with the classic. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Maybe we'll do an entire podcast series about why I hate remakes. But not now. Now we're, we're here to talk about a war. A war. <laughs> a war. Um, so. Book wars. <laughs> what is it good for? History. Oh, that would have been a good one. A good intro tag. Sorry. I realize I have so much information. I'm getting really excited about this topic. Cool. So the the Library of Alexandria was was created by – it was actually by a a pharaoh named Eumenes II. Um, And it was was kind of – the point of the library was – solely based on acquisition of works they just wanted to have the most scrolls the most you know books and all that stuff because it was meant to prove that ptolemy the alexandria this kingdom was the rightful heir to alexander the great they're like if we can have the most greekness it's going to prove that we're in charge. It's it's just kind of like a big pissing contest, kind of. Um, the the works that they focused on getting were Homeric works, the Iliad, the Odyssey, because that is like the quintessential Greek history, mm-hmm. story, mythos. Since um, Homer was maybe real, all of his stuff was told orally. And, and then written down after his death, if he was real at all. So nothing survives straight from Homer, but they were trying to get the oldest copies that they could find of... As close to the source exactly. as possible. Exactly. Because okay. that is the closest to just the heart of Greek culture and identity. Um, Do you think people would like fight and be like, well, my copy of the Iliad is from this guy who was the cousin of this other guy who once uh, camped out in the wilderness with this dude who's the brother-in-law of Homer. And then they were like trying to do six degrees of of Um, Kevin Bacon, but... 100%. That's what they did. So... I am on a roll. You're killing it, Natalie. Um, so we talked in, in season one about, like, patrons when we talked about. Uh, was it when we talked about the salons? Um, no, right? it was the the scientist. It was our science episode. Uh, Avicenna? Avicenna. My mind totally blanked. And we talked a lot about how uh, these kingdoms and um, sultans and everything wanted to show how much culture they had. So they were... They built libraries and they were trying to mm-hmm. do all these arts and sciences because it was supposed to show how cool your your country is and whatnot. Um, so libraries became a means for kings and pharaohs to show off their wealth, their power, and to show that they were the rightful heirs of Alexander the Great. So this kind of became the new hot thing. It's like, let's build up our library and... It amassed so much wealth. This was basically like the the NBA draft of antiquity. They would <laughs> find the best scholars. They would pay them obscene amounts of money. They would house them and feed them. 
Um, they would try to. Oh, remember when we respected scholars? Ugh, those were the days. They like, but this is where the war came in. They were trying to constantly thwart other libraries. Um, thus enters Pergamum. Um, so Pergamum was an ancient city in Anatolia, which is modern day Turkey. Uh, Lysimachus took possession in 301 BCE, and he was the general who succeeded Alexander in this area. Um, okay. Eumenes II uh, succeeded in 197 BCE, and he's the one that kind of created the library in Pergamum. Pergamum became, they were allied with the Roman Republic, so they didn't have a lot of a independence, but they reaped all the benefits of the power of the Roman Empire. They kind of were seen as like sellouts, um, but they got a lot of money. They got a lot of uh, military power. They had protection. And so they could focus on building the city and making Pergamum the greatest city in antiquity. They started building up their library. And these two, Alexandria and Pergamum, became the kind of rival cities. They were both extremely wealthy, extremely cultured. People came from all over the world to see the the kingdom, but also to like, I'm going to work at their library. I'm going to be, mm-hmm. you know, a genius and whatnot. So they were constantly thwarting each other. It got so bad that, and this is where I came in with the paper thing. Um, most people were writing on papyrus at the time, which papyrus comes from Egypt. It's this sinewy kind of thready um, leaf that they, you know, everyone knows kind of what papyrus is, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not as durable, but it's super easy to make and whatnot. Um yeah, it's very, it's very thin. It's very thin. Yes. Um, it's not like, like everyone thinks you're just writing on leaves. No, it's, it's, there's a lot of treatment that goes into it. And, um, but it is just perishable. Just because I believe that I've mentioned on the podcast before that I, in quarantine, have read what I keep calling the good book, um, <laughs> which is, of course, the Da Vinci Code. Of course. I'm pretty sure that uh, in now I can't remember what it's called, but in the in the the thingy, the codex. They, uh, thank you. In the codex, come on, Natalie. It is papyrus, right? It's papyrus I believe and it's, a vial of vinegar. I believe it's vellum, but oh, um, but they do talk about papyrus and how vellum is more delicate which is why the vinegar will ruin it y'all i know way too much about the da vinci code i love all dan brown books and i'm actually looking back through our texts right now our group texts because (laughs) natalie said um i've been reading the good book which is what i'm calling da vinci code and my husband justin's getting pissed and then i just he's getting mad because i kept calling it the good book (laughs) and that i was reading it to begin with (laughs) And then so I just start dropping direct quotes <laughs> that that I know I know from one the timing and reaction time of the text but also just because I know Cass that she did not have to look up any of that. She just had perfect recall. Um I'm not going to lie, I did have to look it up, but <gasps> but I basically knew what I was saying. She's like I keep wow. calling I'm going to read it. Keep calling the Da Vinci the good book. Justin's not having it. And then I said, well, as the good book says, men go to far greater lengths to avoid what they fear than to obtain what they desire. And you're telling me that's not the greatest pulp historical fiction writing ever? Thank you, it Dan seems, Brown. It feels, it feels relevant, though, to, to what we're talking about kind of although it's it more is. of what they desire that they desire all of the books yeah and also the power well and knowledge and with knowledge comes power which is you know what kind of what they're talking about in da vinci code i'm just gonna read da vinci code out loud <laughs> i won't anyway so papyrus is it's easy to produce um fairly and but it's not as durable you can also only produce like from Egypt, like they're the number one producer of papyrus, of of harvesting the plant, of making the actual paper. Um, Parchment is made from like treated animal skin that's been leathered and tanned. And it is very, very, very thin. 
if you look at it, it looks like paper. Um, not just like a tanned hide. It's harder to make. It's a little more expensive, but it's extremely durable. It wasn't super popular back then either. So when Alexandria halted all production of or all exports of papyrus to Pergamum in the pettiest move ever, Pergamum became the number one producer and exporter of parchment, which gave them even more money because it's like, it's more expensive and it's, you know, whatever. And I just thought that was so funny. They'd made this petty ass move and Pergamum's like, okay, we just got a lot richer because of this. <laughs> um, so anyway, so they're kind of going at it. Um, Alexandria at its height contained about 500,000 scrolls of, of works by Homer of a lot of times, um, Oh, and we talked about this with Avicenna. Uh, you could make a lot of money as a scribe of just copying, like, famous works so that they have, like, a more mm-hmm. updated version, that it's not destroyed. Also, part of this being a scribe and, like, copying works was annotating it, critiquing it. Um, it's kind of like literature majors. It's like, we're going to spend, you know, $50,000 talking about one line from a Keats poem all semester long. And it's worth it. Um, (laughs) So they would just like, they would have these arguments and they would um, annotate and do have literary criticism of the Homeric works, which there's not that many and there's only so much you can do to talk about it. Uh, Pergamum uh, contained about 200,000 scrolls. So Pergamum was always number two, but they were vying back and forth, and they were like, they're fucking with each other. The the competition was to amass the most complete collection of texts. They also developed rival schools of thought and criticism. So if we're talking about like literary criticism, they're like, I'm taking more of a Pergamumian stance on this. Um, The Ptolemic rulers, which was the ancestors and the successors of Ptolemy um, created a policy of book purchasing. So basically it was, if you have this, a copy of whatever, we're going to give you a shit ton of money for it. Um, They dispatched royal agents to go, they would have these book fairs um, and they would just like scour through book fairs to find old scrolls. And it became so lucrative that people started forging scrolls to make them yeah, look older. Yeah, I was going to say, you're 100% just asking for... Yeah. ...to create a beautiful forgery market. Yes. Um, and, and it became... Hey, get some black market scrolls. <laughs> it's like it's like in Hercules when he opens his cloak, he's like, wanna buy a sundial? But it was just parchment. Um, Rhodes and Athens had the largest book fairs and these royal agents would just go and like try to outbid each other. It got the libraries got to a point where they were kidnapping, but also putting scholars under house arrest so they could not leave their library. They're like, they're like, you're the best guy. If you try to leave, we'll kill you. Like, we will not let you leave our library. We gonna chain you. This is is mob level. Seriously. Bananas. Like, this would make a great movie. It's like, it's like the Sopranos, but the trying to think of a Greek librarians. Yeah. Oh, that's already a, that's already a series. (laughs) Um, Galen, who was a Greek, um, a Greek writer, he was a, I think he, he love that guy, histo- histories and whatnot. Is. He said that Ptolemy II ordered any ships that came into Alexandria's harbor with scrolls that they were to be confiscated immediately, where they would be copied by scribes and then given back. So it just got to a point where it was just a frenzy. It's like, I don't care what it is. If something's written down, I want to copy it and put it in my, in my library. Um, can you imagine, can you imagine, like, if that was happening today, and it was like people transcribing tweets and shit? I don't know. Yeah. Well, it's I, it's like how I people, it's like how people repost, like, memes or tweets, and then people are like, yeah. I tweeted that originally, why aren't you giving me credit for it? Yeah. Or like, uh, all the mis- misattributed, like, quotes. 
Oh, yeah. Which I feel like everything that's misattributed is, like, either misattributed to Mark Twain or Mark Twain at some point misattributed something else. Oh, yeah. Wouldn't put it past him. Yeah, I mean, like, dude lied about a lot of shit, like his name. I don't like, I don't like liars. What was his name? Samuel, Samuel Clemens. Clement. I was gonna say Clemens. Yeah. Um. So the the emphasis on on scholastics and culture and how much money was being poured into it. So the libraries are attached to museums, and so museums at the time we don't think like. Now we think of it as like, I'm going to go look at some history. Back then they were like academic institutions almost. Yeah. So with so much money going into these libraries, um, the increase in progress in the sciences, mathematics, art, history, politics, it exploded. And this is where like the Hellenistic period, we have this like insane influx of culture of, you know, sophomoric thought, even though I don't think. Sophocles was this era. I don't know. It was just let, how smart can we get? How much can we learn and invent and create and like expand upon in this world that we don't know anything that's going on? Is it flat? I don't know. Let's go to a library and figure it out. Um, this and then this just further increased the wealth even more. So back to the parchment and uh, papyrus thing. So the word parchment in Latin is pergameno, which is, so parchment is named after Pergamon. And in Greek, it's pergamini. So like literally parchment means Pergamon. That's how. That is, that is the ultimate clap back to. Yeah. The, to the papyrus debacle. That'd be like. Being like, yeah, that's cool. We got parchment. We're going to be the leading. Also. Um, it's named after us, so that'd be like if paper deal with that forever. That'd be like if paper was called Cass. Like I just created so much paper. Like, hey, can you hand me a hand me a piece of Cass? Oh, that sounds bad. <laughs> but I'm also- always asking if someone would hand me a piece of Cass. Also, um, Sophocles predates where we're at because yeah, uh, Aristotle. Um, I just I don't know why I don't know why I know this. You should. Um, but Alexander the Great. One of, was tutored by Aristotle. That's right. That's right. God, he gets everything. Right. Um, so in the in the Library of Alexandria, um, head librarian was a huge honor, and you had to be like a genius. Like this is one of those jobs where it's not in title only. Like. You have to know what you're doing. You have to be able to run this huge institution and also be an amazing scholar. And you have a a royal spot at court. It is an extreme honor. Well, in the Library of Alexandria began to decline at 145 BCE. Uh, There were a lot of, this is when, um, like, the end of the Hellenistic period ended when um, Octavian, Cleopatra, and Mark Antony, like, had the, they lost the battle. Like, Mark Antony and Cleopatra, like, they lost this naval battle to Octavian. It was the end of the Roman Republic. That's the end of the Hellenistic period. And that's when Alexandria and Pergamon start to decline and they're kind of just not relevant anymore. There's a lot of dynastic struggle between the Ptolemies, um, I don't know if y'all know this. I had to double check. Cleopatra, as in Mark Antony and Julius Caesar, is actually Cleopatra the seventh. So I'm looking through all this history. It's like Cleopatra, Cleopatra two, Cleopatra four. I was like, which fucking one are we talking about? Yeah. And like, which is the one that which is the one that I know because a bunch of British white ladies have played her in movies. <laughs> oh my god, there was like a tweet that was like. Um, Angelina Jolie and Lady Gaga are vying for the role of Cleopatra. Stop being ignorant. Just give the role to Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> it's like, stop letting all these white people play her. Just give it to Scarlett Johansson. ScarJo, we gotta, we gotta get off that train of, of... We gotta talk. We gotta talk. It's getting weird. We gotta, um, we gotta talk. Between that and the Woody Allen stuff, we gotta talk. <laughs> 
So what? 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 Give me. What years are we at? Reasonably. Um, I'm so bad at the timeline once well, we once there are letters attached yeah, to time. Well, and so BCE is before the common era, which is the same as BC, which means before Christ, but it's more like mm-hmm. that's what scholars use up to date. But then it confuses yeah. me with BCE and BC. Anyway, because then the new AD is now CE. Yeah. A lot of letters going on. We are. And then when it gets closer to zero. And but then we are. One, we are in BCE. This whole thing takes place BCE. We never. Okay. We never hit zero. Um, yeah. So we never hit zero. Uh, so there's a lot of dynastic struggles going on at the time. All of the pharaohs, like the Ptolemies and the Cleopatras, who just all kept marrying each other, these brothers and sisters, um, they're kind of vying for the right to rule. There's a lot of strife going on in the Roman Republic. We're getting close to like, hey, maybe let's be an empire. Um, Mm -hmm. And so as war started to just pervade this whole area, libraries took kind of a back seat. They couldn't spend all this money on on sciences and stuff because they're like, we got to fund this war. And, you know, that's more important to us right now. Um, so they this- stopped seeing the value of uh, education and enlightenment and instead saw the value in things that go boom and bloodshed. Yeah, 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 yeah pretty much. And then we get to the Roman Empire where shit just goes crazy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so so the role of head librarian like was extremely revered. And then as as the emphasis on libraries started to decline and war became more more important of a focus, the role of head librarian became very much just like hey, uh, you want to be head librarian? Or it would be given to, you know, oh, you gave me a lot of money, like go ahead. It was just kind of passed off. As like, this isn't really important. You don't really need to know what you're doing anymore. Um, kind of like the most of the presidential cabinet nowadays. Oh, mm-hmm. oh snap. Sorry. Oh. Um, and so when this role stopped being super prevalent and important, it was just, it kind of, things just went downhill. Um, there was one uh, head librarian Aristarchus, um, he, Ptolemy VIII, sorry, expelled him, and he was one of the head librarians, and he expelled all foreign-born scholars. Um, there was some, I think he, he was a sixth head librarian, Aristarchus, and he, like, was like, Ptolemy, I don't, I don't like what you're doing. Um, he had some issue with, like, he he funded or he showed favor to some sort of rival. So told me, he was like, you're out of here. Anyone who's not Egyptian is out of here. And they expelled all of the greatest scholars. So then they all went to Pergamum. And then Pergamum was also ruled by Rome, essentially, at this time. And when Rome was starting to fight more, they stopped giving as much money and protection to them. So they're like, well, we can't keep this library going. So it slowly started to decline. And then it just kind of, like, there was no, um, even when the Library of Alexandria burned, like, it was, that wasn't, like, the end of all this whatever. It just kind of slowly petered out. and People kind of just stopped caring. Um, the, the library. That's rude. Yeah. It, it's sad because there was no, like, great end of, like, and oh, the Library of Alexandria burned and thus all great thought has ended. It's just kind of, like. Like, well, oh no, we burned all the books. Yeah, and that, but then it, I mean, people still had scrolls, and there was still scholarly stuff going on. But it kind of just slows. Like, well, we're gonna care about this less and less yeah. and less. It's just the the slow backslide of history. The, the peter out. Yeah, yeah. Um, in forty eight BC, the Library of Alexandria was burned by Caesar when he was held up during the siege of Alexandria. And Pergamon, like, as soon as Alexandria declined, Pergamon, like, they remained relevant further after, but then they kind of dwindled in importance, and it didn't really matter either. Um, so, yeah, very, like, an, an 
anticlimactic ending. Um, but at its height, it was, it's just so interesting how if you focus on scholarliness, on on mm-hmm. culture, intellect, sciences, you can amass so much wealth, so much power. It was the whole like phrase, knowledge is power. That's supposed to be like, it's power, you know, within yourself. No, it was literally money. It's literal land. power. It was literal power. Yeah. And it propelled these civilizations to just enormous like heights. And then as soon as they stopped focusing on that, on intellect, on culture, everything just went to shit. And usually we stop focusing on that because we want to go to war. Yep. History uh, repeats that's itself. That's so frustrating because it's like you think about those time periods and like you're always studying them in school as like these enlightened times and it's like so interesting to be like alexander the great was literally educated by aristotle here are these two beings that we spend so much time studying in school that are define their times and most of the history that happened after them uh, and then to be like, yeah, they did this great job. Be they were squabbling over Alexander's throne, and out of that dumb squabble came this amazing age of enlightenment and education, and really investing in that. Oh my god, you know it's wild that if you invest in education, it can be the bedrock of your power yeah hmm if only people would remember that yeah it's just interesting because it's like you invest in it and it is actually a thing that it's proven to work we have the it's proven to give you great returns if you if you want power like sure go to war like Go amass lands, but we all know that that usually is what sends civilizations into decline and what elevates them and keeps them going forever is what you write down while you are ruling. It's what works are we writing down? What songs are we singing? It's why when, you know, we go into economic crisis, we pull the arts first and or if we start getting like this commercial boom, you know, like we're making a lot of money. It's like. Well, let's spend more money on, you know, science and technology, but no one knows how to play the fucking violin. Well, you know, we're all stuck in a quarantine now. And what do we want? We want music. We want arts. We want the things that not just keep us physically glowing, like money gets you food. Yes. We're stuck inside. What do we want? Something to keep us sane. And that is music. And that is the arts. And that is culture. And it's crazy how... Until all of that's taken away, you don't realize how it's not a perk. It's so genuinely important Mm -hmm. to what makes us human. You know, like we need more than just the bare necessities. Well, you don't ask people when when you meet them as like an icebreaker. You don't ask them what their favorite uh, war or automatic weapon is. (laughs) Some people do. Yeah, I mean... I'll be I, I'll be corrected by uh by Florida, um, <laughs> Florida. The rip. state, the state, not Rip. Rip doesn't Rip doesn't tell us what his favorite automatic weapons are. <laughs> uh, that's not his go-to icebreaker. His go-to icebreaker is let's talk about uh, 1989 baseball cards. That's his icebreaker right now. Currently. <laughs> At the moment, yes, and also what the current valuation of my old Pokemon cards is, because that's another thing oh, I've yeah. gotten into. The height of culture. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's funny when you start talking about libraries um, and libraries in that time period, although this is in that time period, I was waiting for you to introduce like a third or a fourth library, but it was just these two. Well, yeah. And and I mean, there are other ones out there, but the, these are the two big ones. Yeah. That were- this is the one where these were the two main rivals. They were just huge like like 
Alexandria had 500,000 scrolls. If you think about that, especially at that time, especially like not everyone could read, not everyone could write. So that's a lot. And that's a very specialized, Mm -hmm. a very small niche group of people who can even work with these. Like, so the fact that that small amount of people, those small amount of scholars was creating a volume this large, and that was just what they housed there. Like they were going to book fairs and they were going to other libraries. And a lot of libraries had, you know, 100,000 scrolls, you know, 50,000 scrolls, but these were just the two like top tier. And it was, it was so, I wanted to find out more about the actual like back and forth battle stuff because mm-hmm. there was, it was just so cutthroat. It was, I'm going to imprison you in this library. I'm going to give you the wealth of Egypt if you come to my library and scholar for me. And like the petty trade stuff of like, we're not going to give you papyrus. Like, oh, cool. Suck it. We're gonna make a shit ton more money on parchment. Yeah. And I I would just, I think that would be a great movie. I would love to just hear more of like the gritty underbelly of libraries. Library wars. Uh, speaking of underbellies of libraries, I probably mentioned this, and I can't remember where it is. Ooh, I don't think it's the Library of Celsus. That seems wrong. That's the third. Uh, that was the third largest library in ancient times, but it's uh, CE. I believe it's or pronounced AD. Celsius. Uh, it's not. Uh, <laughs> <Oops>. <laughs> um, it's not. Uh, although it burned at a certain degree Celsius, <laughs> because Why did all, all the libraries burn. burn. <laughs> oh no! Uh, no. Um, there is a library. I think it was a library when I went on a cruise with my family when I was younger. There was a library that was in ruins that we saw that the guide was telling us is connected underground to the local brothel. <laughs> and I'm 90% sure it's a library. It was either like a library or like the town hall or something so that Both. the men could be like, could be like, going to, going to do my work or my studies, but then secretly crawl through the underbelly <laughs> of the library uh, there's, and go get their freak on. There's a... Um, <laughs> So Drake University is in Des Moines, like it's in Des Moines proper. And the campus, around the campus area, there is a bar called the library. And so you could be like, where are you going? It's like, oh, I'm, I'm just going to go to the library and, uh, you know, throw back a few books. <laughs> just lie to your parents, but I'm going to the library. Man. It's weird that their credit card statement keeps saying the library. They, why, why is it costing them money? <laughs> why are you spending 75 bucks at the library? <laughs> Don't worry about it, Mom. What are you doing at the library every Friday and Saturday night? Go out and have some fun. Gosh. <laughs> Nobody just cares so much about my studies. Yeah. Uh, the library at Celsus is in Ephesus, Turkey, which is just south of uh Pergamum. Mm. But that is, it was the third largest in the Roman world after Pergamum and Alexandria, but it wasn't built until after we hit zero and started counting. Right, 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 right. And then 300, 400 years later, I think. Nah, I think it burnt around 400, 450 AD. And all the great libraries burn. Right? It's like... Were you even a cool library if you <laughs> didn't burn to the ground and take everything with you? No. How would we know? No, probably no. How would we know? We don't yeah. know about you. It's a... Uh, <laughs> if all of your friends were jumping off a bridge, would you do it? <laughs> but for libraries. <laughs> yeah, mom, because they're all cool. Yeah. I love books, man. <laughs> Yeah, mor- and I'm sad that they're so flammable. Moral of the story is, man, I love books. Do you know what? Books are great. The, the, the only thing I'm thankful of is that the Da Vinci Code d- 
didn't burn in that library because what imagine what we would have been missing because you know some iteration of it was in the library of alexandra it had to be yeah i'm so glad that the priory (laughs) broke into the library of alexandria went through the flames found their the books that were the core of their beliefs leave the odes forget aristotle get dan brown Mm-hmm. And they they scooped him up and they they ran out of there. Don't worry, guys. We got the good books. In uh in classic shared history fashion, here's an anecdote about a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> I had a teacher in high school whose name was Dan Brown. So shout <gasps> out, shout out, Mr. Brown. He was my chemistry teacher. Uh, humble brag, honors chemistry. Uh. I was real bad at it. And he would, if you brought in a Dan Brown book, he would sign it for you. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Yeah, I've read. I enjoyed him immensely. I've read every single, every single Dan Brown book. Well, except Origin, which is his most recent book, which I started and then just never finished. But I just. It's my guilty pleasure. I'm kind of a book snob. But when it comes to Dan Brown, I was like, I don't care. They're all the same book. They're like pretty much plot points are all the same. I fucking love them. It's because it's all about history. And it's like, yeah, like very niche and kind of obscure history. Or it's really popular, like art history that you're like, I didn't know that was actually a thing or part of it. Mm hmm. Yeah, I found it interesting as somebody who enjoys... I enjoy a good thriller in the form of spy fiction. Mm. I don't... I've never read, like, a James Patterson book. But I took a spy fiction class in college. I just enjoy them. I love the Bond movies. You're- I just, it's a genre that I enjoy just, like... It's a very good turn your brain off and enjoy and consume yes. genre for me. Yes, that's what Dan Brown is for me. Also, Natalie and I were in Improvised Jane Bond together, and Natalie's spy fiction professor came to one of the shows. He did. I'm trying to get him to agree to be on the podcast. <gasps> that would be so I'm great. working on it. But, uh, yeah. Tell us your favorite Dan Brown book and the book that you're the most sad that burned in the fire <laughs> <laughs> at Alexandria. Yeah. Um... Looking forward to it. Man, I love a good library war. Maybe Dan Brown will do something about that. We'll we'll write him. We'll write him and find Dan, out. Dan, if you're listening. <laughs> we know he is. May I call you Dan? I will. Mr. Brown. Mr. Brown, please. Um, well, thank you for letting me geek out on libraries. Um, I want to get All one of those. All started from paper. You literally took me on a paper trail <laughs> to your story. <laughs> Uh, you know those uh, those old posters from like the '90s with like Michael Jordan and Oprah. That was it was like go to the library or something. It was like mm-hmm. a library ad campaign. I want one that's just got like Library of Alexandria and Pergamum or something. I'll start looking immediately. Yep, <laughs> that's just a little so that extra. I can so that I can give it to you as a gift and you can cry. <laughs> Every time Natalie gives me a gift, I cry. It's just so thoughtful. <laughs> Oh, I enjoyed this immensely. Thank you for telling us this fun story. Of course. As always, friends, you can find visual aids at SharedPod on the Instagrams and the Twitters and a bunch of other bits and bops. We're starting a thing on Fridays where I post what I'm calling further research Friday. So if it's a movie, it's mostly movies. (laughs) It's mostly movies that we reference, so I'm sure I'm sure the one this week will just be the Da Vinci Code. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you can see all those on our social medias at Shared Pod. Um, if you go to Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast you listen to, where you're able to leave a review, please leave us a review because, as in addition to further research Fridays, we also do Fan Fridays, and we like to post um, some of the reviews that you guys leave. To make us feel and good unlike about ourselves. The, unlike the fragility of papyrus scrolls, your iTunes reviews will stand the test of time. 
<laughs> and if you have any questions, corrections, or suggestions, uh, or just want to tell me that you're sick of hearing my dumb jokes, <laughs> that's a suggestion, you can email us at sharedhistorypodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Natalie. I'm Cass. And share you later. Thank you for playing Arcade Audio. Play more at arcadeaudio.net.